You are listening to audio from the Decidedly Podcast. This episode is a highlight clip from this week's full episode. To listen in on the complete conversation, see the show notes for the link to the complete show. You can help us out by leaving us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate every bit of your support. I'm Morgan McKittrick, your producer, and this is Decidedly. something called goal gradient. So goal gradient is this principle that basically says the closer we get to an end point, like the the more we want to keep going, the faster we go, right? So the research was basically around like mice and they would get mice in a maze and they found that the closer they got to the cheese, the faster they would go. And you, you see it with things like coffee loyalty cards. So if you've ever been to like a coffee shop and you used to get like the little paper cards and somebody would like, oh, here's your paper card. And they would stamp it twice. And you go like, oh, I must be so special. They love yeah. me. Oh, they're going to give me two stamps. No, that's a strategy. Um, because they know the closer you get, the more you want to go in. Oh, no, I have to go to this coffee shop, not that coffee shop, because I'm so close to my goal. And they found that with loyalty programs. Wait, so that's – are you saying that that's a purposeful – sort of trained strategy to kind of give you a little extra stamp as you get closer to the it, end? It's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because I think it, to say that people are doing it consciously is a stretch. Like, I, I don't think that the barista knows about the gold gradient okay. effect and that it actually does make it faster. Okay, I didn't know if it was in the training I or mean, something. who knows? It could, it could be out there someplace. Maybe it is. <laughs> but, you know, really, it's... It, I think it's something like when you look at sales and customer experience and retail stores and things like that, there's so much stuff that they do that has a scientific reason behind it. Like there's a reason why it works, but they don't necessarily know that that's what's happening. Yeah. They Like if you take Ikea, for example, like Ikea, obviously, I mean, the world's biggest furniture store, they do a ton of things around behavioral science, but I, they never, as far as I know, they don't consciously say like, oh, it, what about this psychological principle? And let's, let's see if we can experiment with it. Really, it just came from like 60 or 50 years of, hey, if we, you know, stack up our products in a certain way, if we price things a certain way, we just know it'll work because so many people come through the store. If it doesn't work, you know, like retail stores especially are very um, transaction driven. So if it drives less sales, they'll change it. Walmart's the same way. So Sam Walton wasn't a behavioral scientist, but Sam Walton used a lot of behavioral science principles without really knowing it when he was designing Walmart. So it kind of the same thing. What, what were some of those? What were some of those behavioral principles? Yeah. So it's an interesting one. So Walmart... They they do a couple of things really well. From a high level, they're actually really good at interrupting our behavioral scripts, right? So behavioral scripts are basically things like if you go into a restaurant, you know they're going to come up and say, do you want any appetizers? And then do you want dinner? And then, oh, do you want something you know for dessert? <clears throat> That's a behavioral script. That's what you expect when you go into a restaurant. Yeah. If you went into a restaurant and they right. said, uh, would you like to start with a dessert? You would say like, oh, I don't know. I'm all turned around now because that's not what I expected. It's not what I've trained myself to do. Um, but Walmart does that in the way that they sort of arrange the store. So basically you come in like kind of an opposite end. They were, they were one of the first companies to really do this idea of, you know, you had like the dual entrances and a lot of stores you would come in the right and go right to left yeah. in Walmart. You tend to go left right. to right. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. They, yeah. I just, I didn't, I didn't really think about that, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. And it's it's just one of those things, again, I mean, they, they just try things and it happens. The other example um, would be if you kind of go through Walmart, they have something um, called, oh, now my brain, Action Alley. There you go. My brain's not working. It's the end of the day. Um, so Action Alley is when you go down the big aisles in Walmart and 
they they have those big bins in the middle of the aisles and they're full of like dvds or like tvs that are on sale that's action alley and it's kind of kind of clutters up the space that they have these big kind of like bins and displays in the middle of an aisle but that's where they put the sales it's where they put the things that are going to kind of make you stop and go oh well that's really interesting i get two dvds for three bucks or whatever it is now um and actually, when they went through, God, it was a, a little while ago now, they went through kind of an innovation project at Walmart. And they they were looking at th- places like the Apple store and they said, oh, it's so clean in there. And like, that's what we need. We need to get rid of all of these bins. Let's get rid of Action Alley. And they did. And their sales went, you know, into the basement, like in terms of what they had been doing. And they brought it back, I think, within two years. So it's something that's really effective for them. And it kind of speaks to this idea of like when you're making decisions as a shopper, they're not necessarily the most rational. And a lot of times, you know, what you think might work in your mind, which makes logical sense, well, that's not really what people do because we don't really behave in a very logical or sort of rational way. Anything other than awareness that we could be doing to prevent overspending when we go to shop at Walmart to prevent um, making, you know, medium sized purchases. Maybe it's a thousand dollar iPhone that we don't really want or need, but we buy it anyway. Or mm-hmm. is there something that we can do beyond being aware of it? Cause, cause it seems to me in, in my own practice as an advisor that, you know, if I focus on awareness with a client that will, that will stop a certain percentage of bad decisions. There are a lot of times where people go, you know what? I know that I'm mad or I know that I'm scared or I know that I'm excited. I know that I probably should not be making emotional decisions um, in the state and I'm going to do it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) And I go, you know what? At least you know that. (laughs) Yeah. It's a lot of self-awareness to even know like, oh, I'm upset right now, but I'm going to make a decision. Um, I mean, I, I think the biggest thing is... I mean, we know from just behavioral science in general and tons of studies on this that knowledge is very rarely enough to change behavior. A lot of people know things and they intend to act in a certain way. Like, I know exercise is good for me, mm-hmm. but doesn't mean I'm going to exercise. You know what I mean? It's like there's other things that have to happen for me to make that decision. Um, but things like designing your environment. So it's an old strategy, but, you know, the envelope budgeting method, like using cash like only taking a certain amount of, you know, money with you to the store. You know, you take $100 in cash to go buy groceries. You literally cannot buy, yeah. you know, that, you know, sweatshirt or, oh, you know, man. pair of shoes or whatever you, you want. You got to leave your phone at home too now with Apple Pay. The amount of oh, yeah. times that, <laughs> the amount of times I've been somewhere and not, have no intention to buy something, was not shopping. And then someone's like, hey, you know, you could, here's a little cool here's a little treat oh i can just <laughs> i can just double click my screen and now i've got it oh, i'm about to delete mm-hmm. the, about to delete apple pay <laughs> can you delete it? yeah it, it's it's so tough too because for a lot of things like it's really convenient so i have android pay on my phone and the reason it got there because i kept it off for a long time because i for exactly that reason i was like oh god if i can just tap my phone then yeah. It's all over. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, so I'm going to go into the city, do a lot of things. And, you know, for many years I was working in London. So I live in a place called Berkshire. It's like West of London. I was doing kind of like the train commute in. 
And, it, you know, then you get on the tube and you're exhausted. And by the time you get to the end, it's just a whole thing. But I was forced to put it on there because of the tube. Because it's so much easier to remember my phone. And there were a couple times where I had just forgotten a card. I was like, oh, my God, I can't go anywhere. Yeah. I can't get on the tube. I can't pay for a cab. And I thought, okay, well, let me just, you know, put Android Pay on here. And I could just tap the phone. And I, I don't have to worry about having a mm -hmm. card. Um, so that's how I got on there. And then... You know, and it never's coming coincidentally, off. it's stuck forever. Yeah, yeah, all of a sudden, yeah, we get <laughs> one on little, we get one little, you know, luxury or convenience in life, and it's how could I have ever mm -hmm. lived? And now it's like I'm not going to delete Apple Pay either because, you know, mm -hmm. Jen, what if I'm driving across country, I lose mm -hmm. my wallet, I leave it at a Love's truck stop in Amarillo, mm -hmm. and I don't notice until mm -hmm. I get to Pueblo, Colorado. And then, oh my gosh, I need to get gas. I well, geez, I gotta have Apple. That's Pay. all over. <laughs> yeah, I gotta have Apple. And you're Pay. stranded yeah. somewhere, and and, and yeah. now I can't escape the you know Sunday morning donut purchase when I'm out for a jog. Oh, I left my wallet yeah. at home, but I still. And that's exactly what happened to me. I was like, all of a sudden, I'm going to Starbucks in Paddington Station. Every time I go in, I was like, oh wait, well it's because I put. I, this didn't happen before. I had Android Pay on my phone. Yeah, and now it's like, oh okay, man. If I could, now it's easy. Just tap the phone. If we could figure out. I, I think if we could figure out how to get comfortable with removing luxuries that have been introduced into our lives, um, that I think that would solve so many, so many poor decision-making behavior patterns. Yeah, I, I think the other thing to think about as well is a concept called friction. So this idea, there is something called the cashless effect. I mean, we're talking about, you know, these yeah. have to pay things. So cashless effect basically removes something called the pain of payment. Mm -hmm. So when you pay with cash, there's a psychological pain. Like, oh, the money is actually leaving my hand. It's gone. There it goes. And it doesn't matter how good of a budgeter you are, or how kind of loose you might be with money. Mm -hmm. um, there is an amount of psychological pain when you can see like the cash leaving your hand as opposed to a card where it's like, oh, it's not, I'll, I'll worry about it next time right well, that's, like it's, that's it's why casinos use chips it. and not money i would think you know yeah mm -hmm. god it's just so sean and i were in we were in dc um a couple of weeks ago and we were um like paying the bellhop or something right and they didn't take card and sean was like oh man you got like 10 bucks like we gotta pay them and i I just kind of went, ugh, and it wasn't because I didn't have the money. It was because I had a single $100 bill, and I had had that $100 bill in my wallet for two months, and I was just looking for, like, the <laughs> best moment to spend this $100 bill, and the and amount of time... bell hop at the hotel? <laughs> it, well, that was our only option, right? It was like, oh, we got to go. We got to go to the airport, but it, it was so funny to me because I had had this $100 bill in my wallet for two months and couldn't find a way to spend it. But I, if you go look through mm -hmm. my bank history of how many times I spent, you know, $100 on something or $90 on something, mm -hmm. it, you know, there were more than enough times where I could have just laid that down. But it was the physical, the physical cash. It's not just the way that we go, companies go about implementing the tactics, but the, the overall tactic is is you know usually on one side or the other of some ethical line that we all kind mm. of agree on how do companies find that line yeah i mean it's a good question i i think 
Well, I think there's a couple different things, right? There's this concept of like dark or deceptive patterns, right? So do I design an experience to purposely make it really difficult to like cancel, to get a refund? I hide things that I should be showing you. Like, you know, that that's stuff that, you know, when people are doing it, they probably know it's wrong, right? They're probably mm-hmm. like, oh, this isn't like super ideal, but we want to make it really hard for people to cancel whatever subscription it might be. And we know that if we do that, we can maybe like, you know, get a couple extra months out of them just because they can't figure out how to cancel. But now you'll also see things where basically like you go on, it's really easy to buy something and you do it online and then you've got to call in to cancel something. Like they they know that that's yeah. kind of shady. Yeah, I, right? I, I think there are a lot of companies. Yeah, and, and I get frustrated with <laughs> yeah. those companies where they've, they've seemingly intentionally made it difficult to um, cancel the, the service. You know, cable okay. companies mm-hmm. historically, you know, very difficult. Yeah to uh to disentangle yourself from thanks for making the great decision to listen into this week's episode highlight if you want more of what you just heard see the show notes for the full episode as always for the latest decision making tips find us on decidedlypodcast.com or on instagram at decidedlypodcast And be sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter from the link in the show notes. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review as well. We read all of your comments, so if you learned some decision-making tips today, let us know. Until next time, this is Decidedly. Insights, advice, and comments provided by Sean Smith, Sanger Smith, and speakers identified as part of the Decidedly podcast should not be considered recommendations. Speakers who are not identified as members of Decidedly are expressing their own opinion, and their statements should not be construed as reflecting the views of the Decidedly team. This podcast was produced solely for informational purposes, not personalized advice.